Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Lion's Den. Obviously, the big uh, cat is out of the den today. And uh, I'm Bill Russell, Vice President of Client Relations with One SEO. And I got to tell you, I'm super pumped today to be able to have Keith Mercurio uh, in the den with me to kind of talk about a bunch of different stuff. And for uh, those that don't know who Keith is out there, uh, he is a plumber, a New York, a New England sports fan, head of training formerly of Nexstar. He's trained over 20,000 owners, GMs, frontline workers. He's a motivational speaker and a thought leader in the space. And so uh, I want to welcome you to the den. Glad to be here. Thank you for so quickly catching yourself that I am by no means a New York sports fan. I know, I know. I slipped, I slipped. It was potentially an egregious error there, so. You know, obviously I did a high-level overview, but tell us a little bit about your, your, your journey in the space, Keith, as far as, you know, kind of what has transitioned over, you know, from the time you went to school and how you are where you are today. Yeah, yeah, very, you know, for the sake of doing so and expediting it, but happy to live anywhere you want. You know, I was a, I went to college to play baseball, division two program, got hurt, but also at the same time, I was like, never a great student. I, I really had to kind of cheat my way through school to even survive and, you know, smart enough kid, but just couldn't handle the, the workload, especially once uh, college kind of continued on. So I dropped out of school and went to work for my next door neighbor, Tim Flynn. Tim Flynn and Gino Cataldo owned Winters Plumbing back in, uh, at the time, Belmont, and then eventually Cambridge, Mass. So I spent eight years with them, uh, first as a plumber and then developing into HVAC sales and, and working in that realm, and then as the trainer for their organization. And it was around that time that we joined Nexstar. And the moment that I saw what Nexstar was doing, I saw Dave Bodick was the first trainer I ever saw at Nexstar along with Bob Hamilton and Lewis Williams, and three, three people that are still mentors and friends to me. Um, but as soon as I saw what they were doing, I said, that's it. That's what I want to do with the rest of my life. And, um, and so after leaving uh, Winters, uh, Nexstar actually reached out to me, and I became their first full-time trainer. Uh, went from a little under a million in revenue and training annually to about six and a half million, I think, in my last year there as director, and, uh, and spent eight years with them as well and was just absolute i mean just the greatest training organization on earth amazing members it was uh, it was and always will be a, a part of my heart um great privileges but then last year in july I decided to step out on my own uh and and join forces with radiant plumbing down in austin texas and in transparency uh, they are a client of one seo but uh well yeah and so i work with them and i'm also a consultant to service titan uh, which I'm sure a ton of your uh, viewers are aware of. And I, I work with their leadership team as well as their, uh, inside of their training department with enablement. And so that's kind of where I'm at and, and just continuing to launch my own endeavors and, uh, and work with these amazing partners. But Radiant has been really a special one. You know, one of the biggest challenges anybody faces out there is that when you perform at a high level for a very long time, you know, the ability to bring it every day day in and day out is, is one of the challenges that we all face out there. Um, and sometimes people can get into those ebbs and flows where they're not bringing it. But when you're in a training environment, you have to bring it every day, whether it be on the motivational speaker side, whether it's being on the training side, what made you bring it every day as it applies to the next star environment? Uh, it's actually a really easy answer for me. And it was um, like tremendous, uh, crippling insecurity. So I was terrified 
of ever letting down the audience at any point in time. I was so honored to get to be a part of that team. It was my dream to get to work there. And one of my very first resolutions, the very first business planning um, meeting I was part of, you know, our annual planning, I remember it fondly. I wrote that I would not only be enough, but I would actually advance the quality of what Nexstar was delivering. And uh, I, I did maintain that commitment throughout, but it was fear-based. Like I just was always, you know, obsessed with making sure that I performed at the level that was worthy of that organization's name, of their audience. And, you know, when, when I was doing about 40 to 45 trainings per year, so 40 to 45 weeks traveling on the road, three-day trainings, eight to 12 hours a day. And, you know, 80 plus percent of the people in that room didn't want to be there, right? They were getting sent to the trainings. They were, you know, their managers were sending them off, whatever else, not talking about the owners and the managers, but the technicians and the frontline staff. And so there's just this immense sense of like, this has to be so extraordinary that every one of these men and women walk out of here saying, hey, that was worth three days of my life to be there. And so that was my motivation. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty powerful. Um, you know, one of the things that I kind of like to do today is really kind of segment down into, you know, a couple of different categories that I think would be beneficial for our listeners to kind of understand a little bit about your philosophy and theory and, and background on. And it's really about leadership development and then training and development in a whole and how it affects culture. And then last but not least, your own personal development, you know, because um, I think it's very, very important that you have to break down those different aspects to make a great company. And, you know, in 20 years that I've been in business working in marketing and advertising, the one thing that has that I've seen as a consistency, Keith, is that great businesses like a Radiant, like a Hutchinson, like an Arlinghouse, you can go on and on through the entire, you know, community, um, is that they all have great leaders in their company. Um, and as a leadership coach, what characteristics of great leadership versus poor leadership have you seen over the last several years? Uh, well, so, you know, the primary characteristic in great leadership that I see is a commitment to personal growth. So, you know, John Maxwell talks about a version of this. He calls it the, the law of the lid. But what what most people, what, what you'll see is high performers, business owners, high level managers, their mentality is that it's their job to grow their people up to them, right? So like their job is to grow their people up to them. And not only is this sort of a condescending way to look at, you know, your team beneath you, right? And you hear this language all the time, you know, my team under me, the people beneath me, the people that work for me. You hear this type of language, and these are strong indicators that you've got somebody with this mentality. They're trying to build people up to that level. Well, that's not how growth works. People will only grow at the rate at which we grow. They will never grow at the height to the height that we've grown, whatever that even means. Most leaders are trying to teach a lesson, and they want their people to get it or to buy in. Great leaders are learning lessons and they're bringing their team along that journey with them. And so instead of creating buy-in to what I've got, we're both invested in where we're going. And that's a, a really critical distinction. And it's the, the hallmark of, of you know, what's a compliance-based leader versus a leader that's actually creating discretionary effort where people can see their own future and wanna be a part of what they're up to. 
ownership has a lot of different levels through an organization. It's, it's obviously the case. Um, you know, if a company's successful or a company is struggling, is it always on the leadership where, as if in a situation where it might be struggling, one of the stories we constantly hear is, I can't find the right people. Where does it kind of go in that direction? You know, when, when it, the short answer, yes, it's always on the leadership. Not that there aren't other reasons why, but look, if I say I can't find good people, there are no good people out there, right? <laughs> that might be true. And two things are happening. One, if that is true, then I'm effed, right? There's nothing I can do with that. Right. Then this is just it. So that mindset alone is a mindset that doesn't serve. So if you're gonna commit to that truth, right, then you've already created a ceiling as far as where you can go. So it, fine, and I let people keep that truth if they want it, I just challenge them to say, and if that is true, then you got nowhere to go with this. This is, this is your organization, this is all it'll ever be. And so congratulations, like you get your truth, but you also get this result with that truth. Comparatively, you know, when we shift our, our mindset out of that, we move out of that because once we've decided that's our truth, now we got confirmation bias going in the non-conscious and we're trying to, now we're supporting finding evidence to support that belief. And so all I ever ask people to do is look at their beliefs and ask, do they serve them and do they honor them? And in, inside of that space, that belief clearly doesn't serve the organization, you, the people out there. So shift the belief shift the belief to the assumption that there are incredible people out there. How do I go find them? And now you're commanding your brain, you're commanding your organization, you're creating a culture that says we're going to go do this. And I mean, I, I have worked with businesses that are literally, you know, us within one mile of each other in a city where I've watched one business grow, you know, 40 times, the other business remains stagnant for six, seven year stretches. And uh, the, the stagnant business is saying we can't find good people while this business a mile away is growing at 40 times. And that's, I'm not making that up at all. That's an actual I case. I understand that. Yeah. So, I mean, whether or not it's true, it's just, it's, it's not a worthwhile truth. So just get out of it and, and you got to look at yourself. So generally speaking, you know, in the trades, you have really great technicians, okay, that necessarily weren't trained to be really great leaders. Okay. And that's where having a leadership coach to work with their team comes into play. Um, what does a company look like to have a leadership coach work with their team? Well, there's, you know, regardless of whether it's the trades, uh, exactly. very few people have ever been trained in leadership. We have maybe some coaches who inspired us, maybe a good boss along the way. All anybody's doing is modeling behaviors they've seen. Uh, that, you know, people aren't coming up with their own stuff. You know, we're always in, in modeling form. So the idea that any organization would go without leadership training is a really bizarre concept. You know, I mean, it's, and, and, and honestly, Bill, this was like a huge transition for me because I was training technicians, frontline staff, and I would visit companies two, three, four times a year. And it was great. And their team members would come out and they'd be transformed and alive and inspired and ready to go. And then they were returning to leadership teams that had that previous model, that, I'd, that previous mentality that I'd referenced, right? Where they were like, hey, 
you know, they need to buy in, they need to get, and, and none of these leadership teams were pursuing training. Was, was the leadership development program at, at Nexstar one of the first or one of the last that you, that you put into, into the program? Great question. It was one of the last. And it was, that's when I became, that's exactly where it was born from. Is I, after years and years, I would watch these guys go back into leadership teams that didn't have an environment and a culture to support the growth they had been doing. And they would return back to some version of their previous performance. And so then the leadership would say, we got to train our guys up again. And it's like, no, you need to get trained up. Like enough of training your people, like get to work on yourselves. But one of the challenges is that I think in any training is people go off, they do the training, but then they don't come back and really work on the things that they were educated on. So what are the top kind of three areas that you think that leaders should be focusing on to work on becoming a better leader? So this, this ties back actually nicely to the question I never did fully answer for you about like a leadership coach. And so, for example, that's one of the critical roles, you know, that I play with Radiant. Um, and when I work with in, in leadership coaching is it, we're creating a repetitive, ongoing um, rhythm of coaching and development. So weekly or, you know, every other week, one-on-ones, things like this are critical. So most businesses, that's where it falls apart right there, is that team members come back and they're not even holding weekly performance coaching conversations with their team members. And, you know, at some level, the, the leadership and the owners need to be having those conversations with someone else. And that's like the role that I play. But the number one thing in an organization is that there has to be one-on-ones. That's the most important consistent business rhythm for sake of performance, number one. And nobody even really knows what a good one-on-one looks like, but I'll tell you that a bad one-on-one is still better than no one-on-one. All right. So weekly one-on-ones with every single member of the team. And there, I'm sure there are people out there hearing this going, what do you even talk about? That's I, I get it. And you got it. This is where you've really got to develop. I promise you our one-on-ones, on a weekly basis, we have hour-long one-on-ones. Almost none of them even finish on time. We have to work to bring them in under an hour. That's how much we have to talk about from a personal and, and growth development standpoint. That's and and we're not just that we're not just talking about ran, we don't we barely talk about you know random stuff. I mean these are serious meetings. The second thing that they have to have is weekly training. So skills-focused training. You know, developing customer service skills, personal development skills, leadership skills, whatever that looks like once a week that needs to be occurring and then from an ongoing training standpoint you know annual multi-day immersion training whenever we're able to actually be in person again or you know committing to some kind of virtual training program where people are getting reimmersed. and i'll just finish by saying this those big training programs what happens is they transform your belief which is the foundation for all behavior so they transform belief instill a behavior but then ongoing training and coaching is critical for reinforcing the behavior to reinforce the belief. And if that falls off, then the belief system falls back apart. And now we got to relearn everything the next time we go. You know, you and I, you know, you, I spoke uh, via text and I was saying a little bit about how I rely on, for me, uh, I rely heavily on Blanchard situational leadership to, to be able to look at commitment and competency with any of the tasks that hands at somebody um, is, is, dealing with so that I can address that at whatever their particular developmental level is. And it works really well for me. Um, might not work well for others, but when you find a system that works well, 
for you, you, you take it and run with it and you're open to new ideas. What are some of the common trends or leadership styles that you come across that you have seen to be believed are good leadership, but are actually kind of counterproductive? Ah, okay. Uh, you threw me a curveball at the end there. Counterproductive leadership styles. Okay. Number one on the list is power-based leadership. Authority-based leadership, compliance-based leadership, people need to do what they're told to do. Anything like that when we're, when we're leading from a place of, um, you know, fear, uh, using consistent, so fear and power-based mentalities, what that does is it drives your staff into survival mode. And people are only functioning at a baseline when they're, at, when they're in survival mode. And so constant pressure and fear is exhausting. It wears people out and it's what actually limits performance. And of course, leaders with that mentality think they need to exert more pressure in order to get that performance raised and still continue to create the counterculture. And so that's where you'll also see really high turnover rates or really low employee engagement. All right. So that style is a disaster. And then the other most common uh, style that we see is competitive based mentality. So wanting to create competitions among your team, putting, you know, prizes and trophies. And, and I, you see this a lot in the trades, you know, where they'll kind of create these very like, you know, kind of hyper-masculine competitions about like you get the, you know, the, the championship weight belt if you're the top sales guy or this trophy or whatever. And you kind of create a lot of those. And, you know, the reality is that within those competitions, only about 20% of your players are actually competing. Uh, those are your top guys who are always- That's because the same top guys keep winning over and over and over again? Then you've got- Encouragement? Yeah, then you've got like the middle of the pack that maybe they might get lucky, so they go for it for a little bit, but then they kind of just fall back in the middle of the pack. And typically they kind of resent the top players. And they'll usually say things like, well, that's because they get better calls or they get better you know, leads or they get better opportunities. And then you've got like your bottom 20% that absolutely just hate their, their lives, you know, inside of that competitive model. But here's the thing, business owners, leaders, these guys, these women, top performers. So they like competition. So what do we do? We use what we like to try to motivate others. In leadership, it's that what you want is the least important thing. What works is what's most important. Again, confirmation bias is going to tell us, oh, our competitions work. We had this. No, they don't. Your top guys, you can still figure out ways to reward your top players. You can still acknowledge them. Think about creating team competitions. Think about creating competitions for, for most improved. Think about collaborative efforts, about training each other and working together. That's the stuff that actually drives the team. That's why you see a team like Radiant where they're going to go from 20 to 40 million in a year because they're not competing against each other. We've been discussing different aspects of leadership, okay? But, and, and even in the case at Radiant, okay, there are a lot of leaders, but they effectively have to operate as a team. What do you think from your perspective makes an effective leadership team operate effectively? Uh, trust and and that's a really quick answer that requires a lot of a lot of understanding but the competitive aspect is what kicks in again so here's here's what happens teams most leadership teams that would be watching this probably think that they trust each other 
They probably think that they have, every time I do this exercise with an organization, they think they have a high level of trust or they each individual thinks they're trusting, but no one else is trusting or something like that. But then you ask them this question. You say this, this is, this is the litmus test. You say, would you rather go into your uh, monthly meeting knowing that your department hit its goal while the other departments missed or all the other departments hit their goal while your department missed? And anybody with honest, you know, like you're gonna find that, that the majority of your leaders who are being honest in that moment would say, I'd rather go in knowing I hit my numbers. This is the competitive mentality where we, I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to perform at a great level. Of course I wanna hit my numbers. But if I'm genuinely looking at team performance, the only way a team wins is if we all win. And what happens inside of a leadership team is that the team members don't actually trust that they can make mistakes and still be in an elevated status. And so they only speak up when they think they have a winning idea. They only contribute in areas where they think they're gonna be heard. They, you'll have some people dominate other people. You'll have quiet leaders shrink away because their ideas get squashed by vocal leaders. You have CEOs who think that their ideas are the preeminent ones and they need to get everyone bought into them. And this is the competitive environment that creates a really low performing team uh, compared to what it could be when you really do develop that trust. And that trust says, I can be vulnerable, I can make mistakes, I can put really bad ideas out there and know that I'm still gonna have a seat at this table tomorrow, I'm still gonna be respected, I'm still gonna be worthwhile on this team and seen that way. And I'm telling you that takes an immense amount of work to create that level of leadership. And what I'm sharing with you is that rightness is the most addictive substance on earth. And if you're right, about your current set of beliefs, your current series of behaviors. If you're right about it, then I want you to get this, then you've peaked. Then today is the best you'll have ever been. Unless you can find out what you were wrong about today, you have no space for growth. And so I'm asking people to start listening and start asking and genuinely listening and genuinely asking with the courage to be influenced to find out what they were wrong about. And my God, does the world need this right now, man? Well, listen, like I said, we, we, I couldn't be more thrilled to, to have you as my first guest speaker uh, here in the lion's den. And uh, listen, I wish you nothing but uh, the best in your, your, your new career at Radiant, as well as the other entrepreneurial things that you have. And hopefully that you're hitting uh, those other three conscious goals of being the best husband you can be, being the best entrepreneur you can be and being the best brother and uh, father that you can be to, to your kids. It, listen, it means a lot to me. Uh, the most generous thing somebody can do is to listen. And so the fact that you did that today and that whoever is out there that made it all the way to this point in, in, in this conversation, uh, tremendous gratitude. Thank you for lending your audience. It, it really means a lot.